and <laughs> I remember clearly as they one of them looks at the, the other and he said man I don't know what to do <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and the other guy said me neither you know and that's when I jumped in and I was still uh, aware of what was going on I said guys it's okay just get me out of here we'll go to ER easy peasy they're like yeah yeah okay let's do that you know like you can try you can try but you can't beat our wieners you will cry you will cry when you can't eat our wieners we're great with beer and fries and with crunk they're even sweeter no you can't beat our wieners in two or three steps you could walk down to the freezer you could sit there on the couch but you know that wouldn't please her there's growling in your stomach and that smell sure is a teaser no you can't Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotti on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. David Proden, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. It's always a privilege to bring value-added people onto the show, and today I have Atham Aldiqua. Atham is amazing, um, multilingual. He's a hiker. He's a spelunker. Um, he's going to tell us about a time when he fell while climbing a mountainside, his recovery from that, uh, how he was able to process through chaos to move back to self-similarity, get to safety. He's had a lot of different jobs, worked as a window washer at one point, and is now pursuing a degree in chemical engineering. I can't say enough about my respect for Anthem. He is a, a tremendous uh, person who has goals and objectives, has gone through transformations, including uh, psyche, you know, mind, soma, told me about in the last few months uh, getting completely ripped, you know, physically fit, lost 40 pounds. Um, and he is also uh, has completed a course in rescuing people from caves. And we're going to get into to all of this, but just a fascinating person, a really great guy. Atham, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, what we hear just in the news and the media, and especially around Christmas time, people say they're stressed, they're unhappy, um, they just don't have positive things that they're saying. Um, but you, you know, you're a confident person, you're a positive person, you're an interesting um, person because you're doing things out in nature, you're doing things with other people, you're pushing yourself to learn new things, languages, for example, chemical engineering. So. You seem to be um, different than what we hear, you know, how people are reporting in, in masses. Um, what do you do differently from other people? Well, Doug, uh, I am somewhat materialistic, you know, if I do say so myself, you know. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like having stuff, but uh, that being said, uh, I realize how important other people are. You know, I, uh, connection with great friends and family, you know, amazing experiences, uh, those are very important to me. And uh, I think more than anything else, I make time for it. 
a lot of people, when you tell them, uh, when you ask them out for a beer or, or to go hiking or do anything, they always come up with excuses. Oh, I'm busy. You know, oh, I'm too tired. And, uh, you know, I think if you want to have a different life, an amazing life, or fun life, whatever, you have to make time for it. Yeah, so, so tell me more about that, about making time. Do you actually uh, go into your schedule and block off time that you're going to be doing certain things, or, or do you not do that? I know some people that do it both ways. They, they actually put in their schedule, this is a time I'm going to be out biking, or this is going to be a time. Right. No, I play more by the ear. You know, well, I have a kind of inflexible schedule, if you will, okay. uh, most of the times. But I try to fit in uh, as much uh, as many activities as I can, pretty much. You know, I know that maybe I will not be able to uh, sit on the couch and watch TV that uh, that night. That's fine. You know, let's go out, have a beer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I sacrifice sleep too. You know, uh, but that's why it takes. <laughs> <laughs> And what, what you said about saying yes uh, when people ask you to do things, and it, it, I think our default position is to say no um, and just to to stay in what's similar. And, you know, well, what if I do? And we can talk our way out of something that can be really great and often is great. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've heard other people say the same thing of um, they just say yes to most things that are presented to them because they think the, you know, the opportunity is going to enrich them, and it often does. Um, so um, what is, what's your mindset for being successful? I don't know, Doc, you tell me. Uh. <laughs> no, but um, I don't know. I guess stop whining and just do, do the work. Just get it done, man. You know, yeah. um, you know, Aaron Clary was here not too long ago. And, you know, we had a wonderful idea of, hey, what if we drive all the way to Oregon and visit uh, Crater Lake? Let's do it. You know? Yeah. Instead yeah. of coming up with, oh, man, that's too far. I have to drive five hours. Are you kidding me? No, let's do it. And we no, did Aaron, it. he probably yeah. said, uh, Atham, I forgot my wallet. Uh, do you mind picking up gas for this trip? <laughs> yeah, he's always no, he's that. He did, uh, Yeah, but he's great. You're right on. Because um, why not? I mean, why not do that? And, you know, something... Um, you know, we always we always think there's time for for things. Um, we, you know, we always plan when I retire, I'll do this, or when I get my two weeks of vacation, I'll do this. But that doesn't always happen. I mean, the older I get, I mean, you know, friends uh, die of a heart attack or a car accident. It doesn't it doesn't matter. And then you look and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm sure there's a lot of things they wish they would have said yes to. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that is absolutely awesome. Um, it's kind of a a, a place where I'm at more. I wasn't that way at all when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't take on any of those those risks, and I, I, I wish I would have. But right now, um, I'm doing you know much more of that, and and just for the reason of enjoying. Why not? You know, right. I don't need to know everything that's going to to, to roll out. Um, hey, so in the past few months, you've been hitting the gym. Um, Focusing on on eating a, a diet that's 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 going to get you uh, get you in shape, and you lost forty pounds. I mean, this is amazing. Um, but first, what brought you to the point of saying I'm going to do this? Well, I was losing momentum, you know, in my life, and I decided I decided I need to kick my life into overdrive again. Um, I was also dealing with some 
personal issues. You know, so I was feel, feeling kind of uh, down. And, well, I decided what's the best way to feel better about yourself than looking better. You know, so that's what uh, kicked me into doing it, pretty much. You know. It was so you, a way to fight off depression, let's just say that. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I shared with you that it was back in uh, 2014, and it was, it was the start of the year. Uh, I, I decided that I needed to, to get fit and, and lost about 50 pounds at that point, oh. but 50 pounds in conjunction with biking. You know, um, I wasn't running, but I was, I was walking five to seven miles at night in the, in the snow lifting weights and, and felt great right. and pretty much maintained that. Um, but it, it was a point where too, I wasn't feeling good about my, myself. I was tired. Mm-hmm. I was just worn out. I was you know, just stressed kind of, and I was like, yeah, I got to do something. And right. all of a sudden you start lifting the weights and you feel better. And, and, you know, it's, it just has a ripple effect. Um, yeah, we were designed to move around. Yeah. I, uh, I was fascinated too because you you met with a, a trainer. You're meeting with a trainer, so I, I've never done that. What does a trainer bring to to this that you didn't have on your own? Well, it's good to <laughs> to have someone checking your uh, progress or lack of. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, there was a there was a week I remember where I didn't lose any weight, and he got really mad. Wow. He was like, yeah, he was like, Adam. You didn't lose any weight this week, brother. What's up with that? Blah, 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 blah. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> so, you know, from, from, uh, you know, after that, I was, like, uh, more serious about it. Yeah. And, you know, if I, if I wasn't seeing the scale moving or, or the, you know, the pants getting, a, getting a looser around the waist, I was getting worried. You know, at the end of the week, he will be looking at my pictures and at the progress. And I was like, hey, what's up, man? Oh, right. So, yeah, so... Someone's always looking you know, over your shoulder pretty much, and that, that makes you take you more seriously for sure. Yeah. And then you mentioned with, um, with your diet, what you're eating, you have it calculated down to the grams. So yes. was that the trainer was helping you with that, or were you doing some research on your own? Or? Right. Uh, you know, I'm pretty good at following instructions, most of the times anyway. Um, so I just got someone who has been doing it for years. You know, I think he's been doing this for 20 years now. Okay. Um, and I, I, ha- I had been following him for years now uh, online, so I, I trusted the guy. Um, he told me what to eat down to the gram, you know, so yeah. this is what you must eat, the same thing every day, you know, and no, no sugar, no sodas, no, 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 none of that, you know, no, no tortillas. <laughs> well, I could eat some rice, you know, okay. some rice, some veggies, yeah, occasionally some bread. Um, but I had to be really strict about it. You know, everything had to be weighted, weighted down to the gram. So, you know, the cost of a trainer, you know, people might, might look at this and say, God, the cost of a trainer, that's a lot of money. And then if you, if you pause and say, yeah, the cost of, um, a couple doctor visits or a cost of a, a knee replacement or a cost of, yeah, whatever, because you haven't been taking care of yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. that is, it, it, so again, it's, um, I, I like your, your approach. My, my uh, friend is doing a competitive um, marathon of biking like 100 miles through the, the desert and, and things like this. Uh, and he hired a, a trainer who's done this before yep. because he tried to do it on his own. And he said it was OK, but I, I really needed someone who could understand 
where I needed to go. So it was really a good investment. And yeah, every day he said, I, I need to get out and, uh, you know, get in so much biking and he does, you know, swimming and all this stuff because if right. I don't, but you yeah, know, I, I honestly, price is not an issue. Uh, most of the times anyway. Um, I mean, this guy, he's kind of like the Aaron Clary of fitness, you know, okay. kind of like a fast food kind of approach. Well, not that you eat fast food, but you know, the, the fast service, right. um, he's online. I don't meet him in person. We communicate through email. And he, t he tells me exactly what to do, and at the end of the week, I just tell him how it went. Yeah. And he adjusts the diet accordingly, you know. So, all in all, I think I spent uh, $260 for three months. Of really? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, really, really, money is, I mean, if you can't pay that, you have more important things to worry about, I would say. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. bargain. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, how, how has life changed? Um, since you know you you've lost forty pounds and and you know just of course metabolism just everything, mm -hmm. um, what's changed? Uh, well, it's easier to move around for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I took a well, you know, one of my favorite hikes back in May, and I remember uh, when I reached the top of that hike, my heart was boom 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 boom. You know, right? Yeah, and then I took it again on July. Yeah, July. It was it was so easy. You know, I, I noticed a difference. My heart was no longer beating like crazy. Yeah. Um, obviously, well, about, you know. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Go ahead. Oh, how about caving? So I'm thinking, you know, obviously, <laughs> if you if you're 40 pounds lighter, it's it's got to be uh, much easier to get through. I mean, you, you sent some of the pictures, and I'll have them in the video portion, of blog portion. But I mean, you're going through some tight spaces in yeah. caves. Yes, well, it's just easier to fit into tiny places now. Yeah. <laughs> I can go to places where I could not go before. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin. And the Safety Doc Podcast. We've talked about psyche or the mind. We've talked about soma and body. So I want to talk about STEM and STEM as in in looking at um, technology, um, engineering um, degrees. So when you were 18, went to college for computer programming. And after a little while, decided, this isn't for me. Yeah. And you got out, right? Not right. for you. Um, and then, um, you know, almost 20 years have passed since then. And you are now in a chemical engineering uh, program. So, first of all, um, let's go back to the 18-year-old app. So, you're in the yep. computer programming courses. Uh, you, you hated it, right? You didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't like it. It wasn't for you. Uh, 
you dropped out of that. What happened next? Uh, well, you know, I, I kept working different jobs. Um, I wandered in the desert for a few years. Let's just say, um, yeah, I didn't have any uh, aim or goal or ambition. So I just worked until uh, one time. Well, one day I was like, man, I already know what I have to do. I'm just not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, deep inside I knew what I, what I had to do to uh, improve my life. And, and yeah, to, to have a better life overall, you know, to be happier. I, I just wasn't doing it. I was being lazy. Yeah, so, maybe scared of change. Yeah, scared, scared of change. I, th I think that's a, a good way to describe it mm -hmm. because, um, you know, the self-similarity. Um, people, all of us, we, it's easier to not, um, not change, right? Yeah. It's, it's easier to just believe that uh, t today is similar to yesterday, tomorrow will be similar today, and this is kind of how things will go. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit because you talked about Aaron Clary um, and a mutual friend of ours, Aaron, author of several books, including Reconnaissance Man. What brought you back to the university so in this mindset of, hey, I'm going to study chemical engineering and I'm going to be a chemical engineer? Well, I come from a family of engineers, you know, so that was a logical thing to do, right? I just need to find something I didn't hate, like uh, right. <laughs> computer science, yeah. Um it was not until I went to uh, Taiwan uh, and I learned some Mandarin that I thought, um, well, Mandarin is not so hard after all, you know. I, I think if I could stay here another uh, one more year, I could, I could become fluent in it. Um, and everybody says that Mandarin is really hard. So if, right. if I can learn Mandarin easily, why can't I learn calculus, right? I don't think math is that hard anymore. So... That's what uh, made me go back to, to school, realizing that yeah, you can actually do this. You're not, a, yeah, you're not a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, and Anthem, how old were you when you started to learn Mandarin? I was twenty twenty nine. Okay, so again, this this popular uh, misconception of you know if you don't learn a language when you're young, you know like you know ten fifteen years old, it's really hard and it's almost impossible. I mean that's what the, the rhetoric out there. And it's yeah. just not, it, not it's accurate more, all the time. It's more difficult, yes, but it's not impossible. Impossible. Right. Yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, and, and the more languages you learn, the easier it becomes to learn the next one. That's a, so you, you have, um, uh, let's see, uh, Mandarin, um, Spanish, English, Portuguese? Brazilian Portuguese. And then also... Um, were uh, fluent, pretty fluent in sign language at, at one it, point. Just to be, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, you know, I, you, you talk about, you know, learning calculus. Um, when I completed my doctoral program at Madison, um, I don't know, back in, well, back maybe seven, eight years ago, I was taking um, advanced st statistics classes. Mm. And... I was like, oh, this isn't going to go well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, and uh, I, had a, I had, you know, terrific instructors. I, w I engaged in the material, and suddenly I'm like, yeah, I, I understand this, and I can make sense of this. Right. And um, 
I almost talked myself really out of not even going into the program because I just looked at the coursework and thought, yeah, I'm not, it's, there's, this is just going to be too much. Um, and, and I'm glad I, I did just as, as you did, because I, I think again, we, too many people talk themselves out of, of their potential. Right. And so um, what's different between the Atham of right now and the 18 year old Atham? I'm uh, more comfortable with being uncomfortable now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll tell you something you know, that I, I don't often talk about. I failed calculus one the first time I took it, you know, and when I was 18, I would have said, well, that's the end of it, right? Right. Uh, n- not now. I was like, okay, I, I see what I did wrong. I see what I could do better now. Let's try again and see what happens. So I went from having an F to gain an A- minus the next time I took it. Nice. Yeah, so it's just, but I had, uh, I'm, yeah, that's it. I'm more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like, man, this is hard. This is difficult. Well, you know, it's kind of like Call of Duty, right? Or any video game. How do kids become so good at it? Because they, they spend hundreds of hours doing it. So right. if you do the same thing in math, you'll be just as good. It's just that math is not as fun as Call of Duty. Right. <laughs> and as you said, you know, just up front, um, realizing it and saying yeah this this is hard for a reason this isn't why everybody goes right from high school into chemical engineering for example i mean you have to have the the, a a dedication and a passion into this but when you get through it and on the other side you know look at the the careers that are going to be open you know for you and and i mean not only just the degree but you pair that up with your experience with you know, understanding caving, geology, and all of these things. I mean, right. you're going to have such opportunities. But yeah, it's the fact of realizing as you're going through it, this is tough, but it's actually supposed to be tough. And that's why it pays well. That's right. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. I, you know, it it is this whole um, effort versus reward thing, and people should not shy away from things that are are challenging. Um, right. So. If, if you could go back right now, we do a Rick and Morty sequence. We get you back. You're face-to-face with your 18-year-old self, and you've got 10 minutes. What, um, what advice would you impart on the 18-year-old Atham? I will tell him, hey, deep inside, you already know what you have to do, and you're not doing it. What are you waiting for? Yeah. You know, that, what you feel you should be doing, that's exactly right. You know, that gut feeling, listen to it. So I have, you know, I have always, I have always been right about it. I just didn't act on it. I want to build on that. You brought up a great point. Um, so that gut feeling, um, or, or you know, some will say it's tacit knowledge, but uh, statistically, it proves to be highly accurate across all situations. It just, it, it just seems we have this minimizing of gut feeling or tacit knowledge, and. It's people, I think, who get really nervous in change and engaging things who try to also, um, you know, tell you, no, 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 don't trust your gut. Like, trust this plan, which I will give you. Um, Hey, reconnaissance. So reconnaissance man, Aaron Clary, the true reconnaissance, the original reconnaissance man. Um, So I read the book. Have you read Reconnaissance Man? No, I, I have not. Okay. Actually, I, I, I have it. read other books, but not not that yeah. one yet. I got it on um, audio, but um, oh. I did off of off of uh, Audible. Um, 
And so in the book, um, and, you know, I encourage anyone to go on and, you know, Amazon and, and get it, Reconnaissance Man. But Aaron talks about the, the value of especially, you know, when you're younger. So the book is probably um, aimed at people age 17 to 25, but it's really practical for anybody. Right. He talks about his own experiences, but he doesn't lay out like a roadmap saying you should do this because Aaron's a smart guy and knows everybody has to do things on their own. But he's saying, you know, there's there isn't a barrier to traveling from state to state or country to country. I mean, you can do this really cheap. He talks about one time traveling somewhere and he would put up mosquito netting in the window of his car and sleep in his car, you know, at night. Um, but how he got to see then, you know, um, he got to hike places. He got to meet different people, different towns, different states. And then, um, you know, brings people back to the point of saying, what do you want in life? Like, I guess, you know, what do you want to be um, someone who has access to the outdoors, you know, like you? Mm-hmm. Um, hiking, um, caving, biking, things like that. Um, do you want to, you know, are you a winter person, snowmobiling? Are you, do you want to be... Uh, urban, is it really important to you to have those types of things? Or do you want to be out in the country? So these questions, because then th- that dictates where you're going to maybe go to school. It dictates where you're going to live, what kind of, right. uh, you know, spouse um, you're, you're, you're looking for. Because, I mean, if you want these things, um, all of these the other variables has to, have to come into play. And he talks about his own time, you know, up at university and <clears throat> in Minnesota where, you know, now he's not a Minnesota person anymore. He's right. Uh, yeah. No, no Minnesota for Aaron. Um, but that it, it's brilliant because I look at you at and, and you've got reconnaissance down because you've been to a lot of places and you've done a lot of jobs. You know, Mike Rowe, the, the guy, the dirty jobs guy, Mike Rowe. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah so, as I was reading through this, I'm thinking you're the person that Mike Rowe needs to interview for like the story of like, you know, some of the stuff you've done because I'm like, my God, this is, I mean, it's not really amazing. It's also a little freaky for me, a little scary, like window washer. I'd be, I'd be like terrified to do that. But okay. So you lived in Mexico, Taiwan, um, the United States. Right. So, and, and you've, you've worked in call centers. You're a restaurant assistant manager, which said window washer, hotel, night audit, other jobs. Um, so let's say, what did you learn about the world and about yourself through this reconnaissance process of living in different places and working different jobs? Well, obviously, you learned the different uh, different cultures in the world, right? How uh, their traditions and their holidays. Um, but more than focusing on the differences, I like to um, uh, to pay more attention to how similar we are. You know, no matter how, where you're from or where you come from, we share a, a baseline as human beings, you know. And I, I learned how to connect with people, no matter where they come from. I can get along well with just about anybody from all around the world. And it doesn't matter what color or what religion or what uh, social status or how much yeah. money they got, you know, I can get along with all of them. So that's, that's kind of nice. You know, I learned how to read people. Okay. How, as, as you um, travel to more places, um, did it become, was it faster to learn the, the culture and the traditions or what were some shortcuts that you maybe learned um, as, as time went on? 
saying like, here's, here's, how, here's what I need to watch like right away in my first month here, how people do certain things or, or here's yeah. the people I need to hang out with or I need to, or just trying to figure that out a little bit. Right. Pretty much just pay attention to your surroundings, you know, be aware of what people are doing, uh, you know, try to understand why they're doing it. Right, like, oh, okay, yeah, just looking at, I don't know, a Taiwanese person, just looking at, looking at them, look, look how they are talking to each other, like, okay, uh, try to predict what's going to happen next, see if you get it right. You know, uh, often, oftentimes I get it right, it's like, okay, uh, oh, I think, I think she's going to slap him. And yeah, then it <laughs> it's Aaron Clary, like, wham! Yeah, no. if it's Aaron Clary, yeah, you're going to slap him. <laughs> so... Okay, so situational awareness, um, right. picking up what's what's happening around you, and then yeah, yeah watching other people piece, yeah. and, and predicting that. Uh, that's great advice. Um, so share one of the most memorable, good or bad, um, job experiences. Hmm. Well, I remember I used to be. Uh, yeah, I used to be a supervisor in a ski resort, uh, in a restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in Squaw Valley, by the way, uh, nice place. Uh, I had a day off that day, and I wanted to go snowboarding, so I, so I did. You know, you get a free snow pass and all that. Um, but I decided to check on the boys just to see how they were doing. Um, I ended up helping, you know, for like two or three hours because it was rush hour and they needed my help. It's like, you know, I remember the the bartender asked them, "Can you check? Can you can you change the the beer keg, please? You know, I'm okay. out. I'm busy. It's like, I'll do it. It's fine." I know you're off, man, but please help me. Yeah, don't worry, I got you. And then it was something else, and then one thing after another, and next thing I know, three hours went by. I'm like, well, I guess I'm working now. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but it, I didn't feel pissed or anything like that. I feel, I feel good because I was being useful to my uh, co-workers, but also my friends, you know? Right. We, had, we were like a small family, yeah. and I felt good. Oh, that's, that's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Um, how about places that you've lived? What again? Something that really stands out of, of memorable, either good or bad. Uh good. Uh, well, I remember when I was in Taiwan. My, uh, well, my my girlfriend at the time, she threw a birthday party for me. So she had her her family, you know, throw a party for me with birthday cake and all that and gifts. Nice. And, yeah, that was that was kind of nice. Yeah, so that's uh, one of the things I remember. I remember going to a museum, a museum in Taiwan before that, too. You know, um, I couldn't take any pictures because it, it's not allowed, but I remember the artifacts and all that. So that's kind of nice, learning about the history of that country. Any, anything bad um, with, with any of the places yeah, that you, you've lived in? Um, well, in Taiwan, um, older people take uh, things too seriously sometimes. Okay. You know, I remember one time again with my 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 girlfriend at the time. Uh, we were ha we were eating in a restaurant, and I don't know, we were just joking around and having a good time, laughing. And I remember I uh, we were eating some kind of dessert, which was kind of like <sighs> squishy. It was hard to get with a uh, freaking fork. Right. <laughs> was just jumping around like oh, I can't get what it. And we, yeah, this? yeah, this thing is alive. Uh, and we were just laughing about it, and this old man. Uh, I think he was the restaurant manager. You know, he's like, he says something to her in Chinese, and I'm like, huh? And then she's just like, you know, shaking her head. I'm like, what happened? And she's like, oh, uh, the guy says that uh, you should get uh, international manners. Oh my goodness! And yeah, that'd be 
uh, he thought I was playing with my food. Oh. Yeah. But I was having a hard time trying to get the freaking food into my fork. And, and yeah, so he, he was uh, complaining about that. I was like, international manners? Has this guy ever gone out of this country? Right. He hasn't. Oh, I have. What goodness. is he talking about? Whatever. You know, just like, so, I mean, uh, kind of an annoying experience, but not too negative, I guess. A must-read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, A brave demonstration of speaking truth to power, School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Spelunking and caving. Um, first off, is there a difference between uh, being a spelunker and being a caver? Someone outside of the lifestyle, uh, there's no difference. You can use okay. them interchangeably. Uh, now, to someone, <laughs> to someone who is into it, there is a big difference. Uh, especially okay. if that, that caver is uh, older, you know, baby boomer age. Um, they see it as an insult if you call them a spelunker. Wow. Yeah, now I'll explain why. Um, personally, I don't care. You know, a spelunker, that's the way they used to call them before, you know, like back in the 50s right. or 60s, that, that was the word it was used to describe someone, you know, sticking their heads into holes in the ground. Uh, um Somehow that evolved among our circle. That evolved into a, a bad word, you know. Um, so a, a spelunker is someone who goes into a cave unprepared, with no helmet, uh, no lights, just because it's fun, you know. Right. A, a caver is someone who is the opposite of that. Someone who who goes to the cave prepared. So, uh, personally, I don't see it as an insult. I don't, I don't care. The, the younger generation doesn't doesn't care that much about the difference. But the older folks, they, they, they do care a lot about that. So, you know, if you want to um, earn their trust, begin by calling them cavers, not spelunkers. Yeah. So you, you prefer to be called a caver? Really, I don't care. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, years ago, um, I was uh, working. It was a summer um, out of college. I was working at a lumber mill, and there was another guy working with me. And he was telling me about his, his hobbies. And he said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a spelunker. Like, I go, and I'm like, what is that? I have no idea. Like, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, you know, and I just, right. I didn't know. And he said, yeah, I go and I, I explore caves and stuff like this. I thought it was amazing. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, you know, in my whole life, I've known that person. I knew one other person, and now I know you. It's, it's just, um, I don't know people that do this, but it's, it's absolutely fascinating. So how did you become interested in caving? Uh, one night I was watching uh, YouTube videos. I forgot what I was trying to find. Maybe some uh, math help, you know. Uh, yeah, and I, I was. I think I was watching either physics or or math, and somehow I ended up seeing this uh, 
suggested video, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I clicked on it because uh, it was uh, it was about cave diving, you know, and that's what I eventually want to do. Uh, now, you know, at the time I didn't know, but I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. I remember back in the day, you know, when I used to live in Cancun, uh, you you heard about the cave divers who came from from the UK, and they explore all the cenotes and all that that stuff. And I would ask my dad, uh, so what do they do? And they said, well, they 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 swim under underground, and and why do they do it? For the sake of exploration, I guess they think it's fun, you know, whatever. You know. And he right. would show me the pictures. So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but that was, oh no, 30 years ago now. And so I saw the, the, the cave divers swimming around. It's like, okay, let's let's. It was a documentary, I think. Yeah, like 40 minutes long. Uh, it was about five cave divers who went into a cave system under underwater cave system in Norway. I think it's called Plura. P-L-U-R-A, Plura system. And um, they found out that this cave went all the way to the other side of the mountain. They thought it was two separate caves, but they were actually connected. Oh, okay. So two of those five uh, very experienced cave divers had already gone through once. You know, they're like, oh, okay, we want to do it again. So they told their friends about it. And so, okay, they, they got a uh, group of five people. And, and they, went, they went to do the... the, the trip through the mountain, right? Something went horribly wrong, and two of them ended up ended up dying in that trip. You know, they drowned. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I don't know. I saw that. I thought it was fascinating. It's like, well, I want to try that. Well, the, the diving, not the dying part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the next day, I no, not the, not the next day. That that same night, I started looking for caving clubs. We call them grottos. Uh, caving clubs in my area, and I found this. Uh, Cave club, caving club. Uh, well, it's kind of far from where I live because there's nothing around here in, in, in Lake Tahoe. Uh, but I found them, and I uh, I I uh, sent an email to the 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 chairman of the group, and he told me where to meet. And I went to one of the meetings, introduced myself, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> so that's been about two years. You've been doing that? Uh, almost three years now. Yeah. Almost three. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, basically just a, a Google search, caving clubs, and then your area, and, and right. see what comes up. Okay. Yeah, you'll find people who do what you like, you know. So, tell me tell me about that, that first experience. So, you meet up with them, and um, your very first cave uh, caving experience. I mean, what did, did, did they tell you what to, you know, buy for a tire? Did you just kind of show up in jeans and, and whatever? Um, how did that go? Well, obviously, they took me to a very beginner-friendly cave. Uh, yeah, they, the, the only thing they told me is don't, t- don't, care about, don't, don't worry about the gear. We'll okay. take care of that for you. We have loaners, right? Uh, we'll let you use our gear. Um, all you have to bring is uh, maybe a pair of cheap globes, you know, like gardening globes. Uh, clothes you don't care about because they're going to get really dirty. Yeah. And, you know, and a decent uh, pair of hiking boots. Okay. Yeah, so that's all I took, and they they got the helmet and the lights for me. And now, looking behind you, you own all of that, right? That's uh, you've kind of put your equipment together. Right, I have. Uh, I I actually have enough gear to outfit four people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is that's awesome. So yeah, you, me, Aaron, and Chad. There you all go. Right. Yeah. That's that's the group. Wow. Yeah. Um. So. 
I'm thinking about uh, caving. You know, I guess I'm not thinking about doing caving, but but I'm trying to get in your mindset of of what would it be um, about caving that would be so enjoyable. And I'm thinking, is it the connection with nature? Is it solitude? Um, is it that you you're using your technical expertise versus like um, some kind of sport expertise? When I say sport, it's like um, baseball or golf or something like that, you know, where I would see caving would be a high level of technical expertise where you really get to exercise your mind on distances and mm-hmm. um, angles. And um, But what is it that you find so um, fulfilling and engaging about caving? You know, to be honest, I don't exactly know why I do it. It's just fun. Um, one of the things I uh, that crossed my mind, you know, when I'm down there is like, what if anything goes wrong and I don't yeah. make it out? You know, and then I think about my family, you know, and my friends and my favorite beer, I guess. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so at the end of the trip, I'm, you know, we'll always go, go have dinner. And I always go have my favorite beer. I'm like, ah, oh, this tastes delicious, man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it gives you more appreciation for life. This is this is a wonky question, but um, how do you know when where you're at when you're caving? Because obviously, uh, I, I was telling my daughter that you know I was, was going to have you on the show, and we were talking yesterday, and I said, you know, Atham, we're going to be talking about caving, and she said, well, how does how ask him how he knows where he is because you can't <laughs> use your phone or GPS, and I'm like, okay, right. so. How do you know where you're at in the cave? Well, assuming the cave has been explored before, and you're going with with someone who has been there before, he knows the cave and he tells you where you are. And you know, uh, you know, a lot of times they have maps. Is there? You know, we have cavers that are specialized in mapping caves. And they they draw, draw them. Uh, well, they make the maps. They give them to you. And oh, okay, well, we are in the. Oh no, uh, we we call them silly names sometimes. Uh, the ballroom, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are in the birth canal. That's a popular one. Uh, so, I mean, the person who has, been, who has been there before tells you, oh, we are in so-and-so part. Uh, or you have a map sometimes. And, you're, you know, if you are good with maps, you can tell, you can tell oh, well, we're here now, you know. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, according to this, there's a fork. Yeah, the fork is right in front of us. Look, you can go either left or right, you know. So, so yeah, nothing, through maps, through maps okay, or, or mental maps. Works, so, right? no, nothing GPS works, though. No, nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing <laughs> not even two-way, right? Nothing works there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, occasionally, you get cell phone reception, which is weird. Maybe there's like a little <laughs> okay. hole through the ceiling, you know, right. uh, that connects to the surface. And then maybe through there, you can get a cell phone reception, but it's not uh, reliable. Yeah. So in one of your photos, I think on your, on your uh, right above your wrist, it looked like you had a map or a, a a phone or some electronic device is that where you like would keep a map when you're um oh in a cave no, or? that's how i control my gopro uh it's oh okay yeah it's my cell phone strapped to my wrist you know and i can see what my gopro sees through my phone nice so sometimes wow. i you know i can uh, i can mount it into a uh, tripod let me show you uh, i have it here i can mount yeah. it into the tripod and then i can take pictures through the GoPro, you know, that way, remotely, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, this looks good. Okay, no, everybody smile, <laughs> no, whatever. Yeah. So, 
maybe give me three uh, basic rules of caving, like things to always do or things to never do. Well, <laughs> the first one is to never go in a cave alone. Okay. Never, never, ever go inside a cave on your own. Uh, if you want to get into this, go to caves.org. There's this website. That, that's the website of the NSS. That's the okay. National Speleological Society. And they have a, a caving club finder. So you can go to this website and find people near you who do this kind of stuff, and they can show you around. You know, uh, another thing to never do in a cave is never run in a cave. Never Try to never jump in a cave, you know, because the terrain is not flat and nice. So you can twist an ankle easily, and then getting, getting you out of there is... <laughs> Yeah. A big hassle. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, well, um, the basics. Always wear a helmet. You'll be thankful more than once, you know, when you go inside a cave with a helmet. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Um, always carry three sources of light. Um, let me see. Like this kind. I don't know if you can see that. I mean, yes. You know? So I always carry three of these when I go caving. Okay. Um, yeah, because, and I carry a diving light for my pictures. You know? Yeah. So I have four. Do you have any, like, glow sticks you, you bring along, too, or any? Those are not helpful at all. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Only on Halloween, but yeah, okay. I mean, that's just more for fun. Yeah, Yeah. okay. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know that. That's great. Right, because, I mean, the, the way you activate glow sticks is by, by breaking them, right? right? You just smack them or something. Anyway, uh, you tend to do that a lot in caves so you will <laughs> you oh, will probably okay. activate them before you need them yeah right <laughs> right you're banging yourself around and yeah it's yeah. not useful yeah glow sticks just a novelty item for us yeah um and aaron clary never eat beans before caving yeah never yes. ever and if you do try to not to be behind the person you know when you're in a, in a, right. a tight role <laughs> Yeah, I know stuff, you know, yeah, uh, stuff not to do, do not touch or break any formations. Okay. Do not kill any life form. Uh, do not take anything from the cave. Graffiti and trash is a big no-no. Yeah. yeah. So no, uh, no glass containers, you know, no beer inside a cave, no weed. You know. <laughs> Sounds kind of boring, but that's how accidents happen. So you're in the cave. Have you, have you seen, um, you know, uh, what is it, pteroglyphs or, you know, um, something that might have been, you know, carved into a cave wall 500 years ago or something like that? If you Or, or fossils or anything you know, like that? You're like, wow, this is absolutely stunning. I've seen uh, signatures made with uh, carbide. You know, that's what it used to do. Uh, well, what it used to use for uh, uh, cave, uh, for mining and cave, uh, caving lamps before, you know, yeah. before LED technology came about. Um, so, I mean, you had like a life flame coming out of your lamp pretty much and you could like, uh, graffiti the walls, you know, <laughs> uh, but I've seen carbide signatures from the, from the 1800s. So wow. it's kind of nice. Yeah. And those are, you know, legitimate. Uh, they, 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 they confirmed they were, uh, authentic. <laughs> so that's, so that's it, nice. Yeah. Uh, Anthem, you talked about, um, you know, uh, caving situational awareness. So what's some, what was something that was completely unexpected when you were caving some, you know, you, you came around some corner, um, whatever, something that 
it completely caught you off guard? And then how did you handle it? Um, you know, so far I haven't had any experience like that. Um, no, actually I have. Now that I remember, yes. Um, it was not inside a cave, but it was in a uh, SRT, which is single rope technique practice. Um, you know, so you learn how to climb the rope because not, not all caves are accessible by walking. Sometimes you have to descend into them. They're just a hole in the ground, right? So right. you have to go down like 40, 80, hundreds of feet sometimes. Um, so we were practicing that uh, in a, uh, right outside of a cave that, that actually we own. And uh, <laughs> one of my friends, his harness came undone as, you know, when he was in, in, in the rope, oh, well, on yeah. rope. And he was like maybe 12 feet up, you know, enough to, to hurt you if you fall. Yes. So his harness came undone and he was climbing along uh, right next to another partner of, of, of ours. And uh, so, he, you know, we just hear, heard the pop, pop. And he's like, oh, my God, my harness. And then we looked at what was going on. It's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> we were prepared for that. Uh, we had already we had someone on top, you know, where the ropes were, ropes were rigged. Yes. And we have a contingency rigging in place so we could let you down right away. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, in a matter of seconds, you know, I was, I was down, you know, like, well, if it comes to, <laughs> maybe it was a stupid thing of me to do, but if, you know, if he falls, I'll try to break his fall and protect his head, you know, because that's what they did when I fell, you know, when I was oh climbing. Yeah. Someone, someone caught me, so I'll catch somebody, you know. Uh, and the other friend was already uh, up the hill and he let him down immediately, you know. So it all happened in seconds, but we already had a system in place for such an accident. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, so, so you took a course in cave rescue. Um, so what are some of the reasons um, people need to be rescued? Uh, I guess, what, what are the common things where people end up in over their heads in a cave or, or some situation? And people like, like you need to go in and help get them out. Um, the most common one is spelunkers going caves, you know, they, there's a local cave everybody knows about and they go exploring with a, the only light they have is their cell phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've seen it firsthand. Um, <laughs> you know, here in Truckee, there's, there's, a, there's a cave nearby and, uh, I've seen people in there with just cell phones, you know, and that cave tends to be wet. So what if your cell phone is all waterproof and you drop it inside, you know, in a puddle. Right. And you have no light. And you have no way out. Uh, so that's, that's a very common one. They run out of lights. They have no backups. And they just can't make it out because you cannot see in there. Um, or, or they get lost. You know, that's another common one. Um, another not so common one, but it happens fairly often, is they twist an ankle. They, they suffer a fall and they can't make it out of there without help. Right. Uh, yeah. That's another common one. And, and there's silly ones. You know, it has happened. Um, I think it's happened in Indiana. Um, there was a caving club in a, in a college. And that's what they did during weekends. Uh, somebody forgot to, to do the, the head count at the end. You know, and this was a gated cave. So it's like, ah, yeah. oh, okay, well, everybody went home. They, they, they locked the door behind them, the gate behind them, and there was someone in there still inside a cave, you know. Unreal. They, All right. Yeah, they didn't find out until like two days later, like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, you know, so-and-so didn't make it home. Huh? Where is he? You know, where is he? Where is he? Oh, my God. Let's, ch let's, let's check the cave. He was still there. 
alive, you know, I found him alive, but it was a very two uncomfortable days for the guy. Yeah. Oh my God. That was a silly mistake, but yeah, it has happened. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. So there was an amateur caver in Pennsylvania, and and he told me uh, just recently. So he, I, I would say he's more of a spelunker. Um, he doesn't outfit with with gear, and it, I think he does stuff that's, um, you know, not not too deep. But mostly, I, I guess out in Pennsylvania, a lot of old mines. Um, you know, he'll he'll enter because that was coal mining country. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about the uh, it's called the Dunning Kruger effect. And it's when people greatly overestimate their capabilities and their, um, they also have very poor situ- situational awareness. So kind of like you said, I have a cell phone. I know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, a college. I'm 20 years old or whatever. I can do this. And he, he was saying out there it's pretty common for people to get in and um, get hypothermia because they'll, they'll leave. And outside it's like 95 degrees and humid. So they've got a T-shirt on and. Mm-hmm. shorts and whatever and then i don't know what the temperature of a of a cave is um because i would guess it's pretty pretty stable but you know if, even if yeah yeah so it's cooler so eventually their body's going to start to to cool down and then they don't have anything that they can put on so um he was he was saying now there's all of these signs outside of of caves um please do not go in here if you <laughs> haven't been trained um, and absolutely make sure somebody else knows that you're going in here, but the yeah. things that you've talked about, because people just um, overestimating uh, how simple this will be and not taking even the basic yeah, things, you know, like a, a second flashlight or something like that. Um, right. Waterproof flashlight, by the way. Waterproof. Yeah, <laughs> very important. So, so rescue. Is there a chance you could get a call, you know, in an hour from someone now on, you know, in your in your caving group saying, hey, um, we need to check out a cave because, yeah, some people are in there and they've they've indicated someone they're having trouble getting out or someone is having, um, you know, chest pains, cramps or whatever it is. Are you on call? I mean, could someone say, hey, we, we need you to to help us out? Yeah, uh, the the caving well the cave rescue uh, course that I took about a year ago, uh, it's called OCR orientation to cave rescue, and uh, there are different levels. The the one I took was the the introduction to 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 the course, right? Um, but even at that level, they ask you, hey, uh, is it okay if we put you on 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 the list? You know, if we ever need you, can we call you? You know, so it's up to you to say yes or no. And I said yes. So. Technically, yeah, they could call me at any time and say, "Hey, can you can you come help us out?" Yeah, 
Yeah, and obviously as you go up in levels, you become more uh, important, let's just say. Like, oh, okay, this guy knows, really knows what he's doing. He's very good with robes or whatever, yeah. That's, that's, is that your intent, to take more of those courses and, and to yeah. rise up in those ranks? Yeah, there's, there's OCR, which is the first one. Then there's uh, NCRC, which is National Cave Rescue Commission. NCRC level one, level two, level three. And then there's like IQ, which is already, uh, if you want to be a teacher, you know, an instructor. So, you know, I want to go all the, le- all the way to level three at least. That would be nice. That's, yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing because, um, you know, fire departments aren't going to have those, those folks or DNR. Where I, they treat I, it as confined spaces, which is not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean it sounds, sounds similar, right? Cave, confined spaces. Uh, but I mean, caves are usually pretty well uh, ventilated. You don't need all that extra oxygen to go in a cave usually. Okay. Um, and that's the first, the first thing firefighters think. You know, they think oh, confined spaces. It's a different set of skills. You know. Hey, so you mentioned cave. So do you have any um, equipment with you to indicate that um, you know if the air quality is deteriorating, that this isn't a safe area for you to be, or or how does how do you do that? I have it right here. Okay. Ah. <laughs> if there's no oxygen, this thing won't go on. All right. Yeah. Um, we, we know, I mean, usually you know the caves beforehand, right? Someone has been there before. And there are a few in the area that have, uh, we call it bad air, which is a lack of oxygen. Okay. Uh, they don't breathe very well sometimes this is seasonal sometimes the bad air is there during the winter sometimes it is during the summer sometimes it's always you know uh, sometimes it's confined to certain places of the cave so we know these things ahead of time because someone has been there before you know unless you're venturing into a new cave which is something i don't usually do (laughs) um eventually maybe uh, but yeah, we have we have the report. Oh, you know, this cave tends to have bad air uh, this time of the year, so we'll avoid it. You know, especially if there's a, like a vertical component in the cave. You know, like you have to access to rope, and then you realize you're in a bad air area, and then you have to do a changeover to to start. You know, you're descending, right? And you're right. like, oh, this is not good. You know, you still have to do a changeover. Oh, start wow. going back up. Yeah, and there have been instances like uh, where where did this happen? I think in Ru- Romania. I think. Yeah, a guy was going down, and he realized that he was getting into a pocket of bad air, and he tried to do a changeover, but he couldn't do it on time, so he, he, he passed out due to a lack of oxygen. By the time they got him out of there, he was dead. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so we try to avoid this, this kind of caves uh, during yeah. those seasons of bad air, yeah. But I like how you pointed out the difference between uh, confined uh, space and how firefighters you know, would, would typically approach something versus... Uh, a caver um because yeah it's yeah it's a completely different um mindset coming into that yeah so yeah most most caves are not most caves do not contain bad air you know it's a rare instance it could happen but um again if you if you know the cave beforehand you you know oh this cave is safe you know it, it it doesn't have bad air but it tends to flood when it rains yeah you know these right. things right yeah you know, right there's some caves that don't flood that that bad when it rains. You know, we usually avoid caves when it rains anyway. <laughs> Not a good um, idea. So, any snakes in caves? Again, it's just a question. Uh, you're, like, uh, you're, yeah, girls always ask that one. <laughs> okay. All right. My uh, daughter asked it then. All right. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, near the entrances sometimes. Okay. Yeah, they won't go too deep into the cave because, well, they can see. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, how, what would, what would be the motivation for a snake to go 500 feet down or something into a cave? I don't know. But right, unless it, it's lost. You know, sometimes <laughs> you see, you know, I know, like raccoons inside caves, they're lost. You know? <laughs> wow. Sometimes you see the bones, like, oh, this guy didn't make it out. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. So. Hobbies. Uh, I, again, I think you have fascinating hobbies. I talked. Um, one I wanted to touch on, and, and we can get into others. But fountain pens. Um, I've known a couple people who have really gotten into fountain pens. So um, tell me how you got interested in that, and kind of how you built your collection. Uh, well, I have a quite small collection uh, right now. I used to have a fountain pen in uh, elementary school. That's what I used for, for writing, you know. Everybody used a, a pencil, but I, I always used a fountain pen. Um, but right around age 12, I bent the nib, you know, and I just never replaced the pen Yeah. until about six months ago. That's when I got back into that because I, I remember, I was like, oh, yeah, I used to use these things. You know, they were kind of nice. I'm going to get one. And then a month later, I had like six of them laying around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have like a super nice one yet. I guess the nicer ones I have are uh, a Pilot. I don't know if you've ever heard of the brand. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Japanese brand. They're actually here. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, they have gold nip and all that. Um, but yeah, I only have like, I don't know, like six. You know, I have the cheaper one. It's a see-through, you know, kind of nice. Okay. Yeah, you can see the ink. Yeah, sometimes I fill it with red ink, and people think it's blood. Wow. <laughs> so is that, did, did it take a while to relearn how to use that, or is it just, you know? No, nah, you know, it was kind okay. of like uh, riding a, uh, yeah. a bike, you know. You learn once, you, it stays with you forever. Um, so tell me uh, some of the other uh, hobbies. So uh, pipe pipe smoking? Yeah. Any, you and TJ? Yeah, Okay. Yeah, TJ's a fellow pipe smoker. Sometimes yeah. we, we talk about tobacco and pipes, yeah. Wristwatches. So um, th there was a time, Atham, where I had, I had a leather um, watch band, and I had nine watches on it. <laughs> so three on right. the side, three on the top, three on the It was cool. It had, like, this different uh, straps kind of um, look like Mad Max with that thing, but... Um, oh. But yeah, I had uh, I for a while I made sure I always had a really nice timepiece. Um, but actually, in the last five years, I haven't worn a watch at all. Just you know, because with the phone. But that's tell me about watches. Like I always thought they were fascinating. Yeah, um, I have always liked watches. I mean, my dad was a watchmaker. It yeah. was one of his uh, hobbies. Um, so you know, I like watches since I was a kid. You know, um, the one I'm wearing right now. Nice. Seiko 5. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like him. It's just convenient. I know that the phone is more accurate. I know that you can see the time on the phone, but, you know, usually the phone is in my pocket, right? And it just, it takes me a whole, I don't know, five to ten seconds to get out of the pocket just to, to, watch, right. you know, to look at the time. When I can just do this, okay, yeah, at three o'clock, whatever. You know. Yeah, it's just more convenient in my, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah, but I think, I so. think that the younger generation is, uh, you know, does not agree with me. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that is, is just kind of dying out, you know, with the younger generation. Um, 
just not not getting into wristwatches. Uh, not uh, you know, you, you talked about pens. I, I just found so this is my um, Mont Blanc pen, and it's a ballpoint pen, but um, this I, I bought this after my book um, was mm. published because um, a couple people were saying, "Hey, you can't sign your book with a right. one dollar, you know, <laughs> pen." And I'm like, "Well, what did, what should I get then?" And and one of my friends uh, who you know has a pen collection said, "You know, well, he was kind of trying to lead me um, more into uh, your collection." But I said, "I don't know. I don't." Um, that's cool, but like, is there a ballpoint version for me? And he mm-hmm. said, oh, okay, like you can go ballpoint. And it is nice because definitely when I sign the books, um, it's just, it's a bold, uh, just a really nice signature. Nice. So it's a special, you know, I've got it over, um, got it over in a special drawer and it's got a little, you know, um, yeah, folder. You, you went, you went fancy there. That's a nice brand. Yeah, it yeah. was, I, to be honest, I got it. I got it used. Um, he showed he found an auction for these. <laughs> so I bought it used and then I contacted the company and then bought um, new ink for it. So, um, so yeah, I saved, but it's really nice. Like it is, it is. And I take it with, with me to author events and I sign yeah, every, everything that's a book um, related event with that. So that's, it's been cool. That's a pen you're going to, you're going to use to sign my. Hey! Yeah, this guy needs to leave a review on on Amazon. Just well, so I'm, in, I'm on chapter seven right now. Once right. I'm done with it, yeah, I'll right. leave it. I appreciate that. So this is this is my version. I've got all my my sticky notes, and then um, at author events, there's pages that I that I read. It's just there's a so you know I just highlight what I'll what mm-hmm. I'll read. But someone came up to me after an author event, and they said. Um, Hey, why did why did you, why did you highlight all of that stuff? Because you should really only highlight the stuff that kind of is is stand out. I'm like, no, 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 no. I said, I I just highlight that so I can read it, so it just stands out. Because they're like, yeah. yeah, I was trying to figure out. I was like in the front row, and and uh, and it's 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 hilarious too because people. Well, I don't know, it's hilarious, but there's people who will outline like the whole book and like bring it in and have notes, and they'll be like. You know, on page forty-one, right down here, and then they've got all these things right in that column. I'm like, you know, what did you mean? I'm like, I'm, I don't. Let me think about it, or I'll get back to you. Drop me. Right. Where's an email? I can I can think about this because um, actually, you know, when when I produce it, and I think it's an awesome book. I love reading through it, but um, I I can't just snap back and, well, of course, and remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I remember you mentioned you mentioned caves in page number forty-five. I did. Yeah. Oh yeah. The um, yeah. If you need to default and follow the person that knows what they're what they're doing, you know, versus yeah. the person who's yelling the loudest of "follow me" or whatever. Versus right. here's the person that really has the content knowledge of of how to get you out of this cave. Yeah. Um. So, let me. I sign language. Um, have you used it since you you learned it? Uh, I used it a lot on. Maybe within the first two years that I learned the the uh, speak it speak it, right. uh, and then I think well I, you know I learned it when I was living in Tijuana, um, and I was very involved with a group of deaf people. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, you know I I had a decent amount of practice there, and then I moved to the states and 
Well, it's different to begin with. You know, there's Spanish sign language, there's American sign language. That yeah. Every country has their own version. There's an international version, I think. But I never, you know, well, I never learned it. And, uh, and I don't know any, anyone who speaks sign, Spanish sign language in here, so I just forgot it. You know, most of it now. <laughs> I still so remember quite a bit, though. Yeah, um, this is a point where you know Anthem and I, um, you know, we're similar because I I learned sign language in college. I had multiple sign language classes. Um, one of my master's degree was speech language pathology. Oh, nice. And I I did um, for a final exam in sign language with my girlfriend at the time, who was also in the program. Mm-hmm. We did the song somewhere out there, and and so it's a male and female um, duet. So then we would sign the the different portions of it, and it was it was amazing, mm-hmm. and it was so much fun um, to to have that skill and that knowledge, and just to when we were in class, the more advanced classes, that had to be your primary method of communication in class, and I worked um, in my internship with uh, some. Uh, high school students who are deaf and the fact that I knew sign language, I could just instantly get in and, and communicate. It was a very short learning curve to translate that over. But but I haven't used it for so long. I'm completely yeah, it goes limited away. to it. Yeah, it, it, it goes away. But on, on on another side, it was about five, six years ago, I learned how to, to read Braille mm-hmm. and I can read uh, visual Braille, so I can't do the tactile Braille, but I can look at something that is that is brailled out with the six dots, um, the right. different sequences, and and you know make sense of it and read through it. Okay. And I was I was taught that by a high school student who was blind, and then um, was assigned to teach me how to learn uh, Braille. And right. uh, it was. I, as we talk about learning and new languages, I mean, maybe not necessarily new language, new way to communicate uh, in English, but um, I initially thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, oh, come on. And then I started to get the hang of it and got, you know, confidence. Um, There was an app. I still have it on my phone where you could go in and and practice. It would put up some words and, okay, what's the word? and and so yeah, we talk about growth. I would have never thought in my forties, like if someone would say, "You can do this," be like, "No, no way." <laughs> um, but it, it it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah, so, I remember. Uh, I, you know, I used to uh, work uh, as a cashier in a in a restaurant. Um, and one time there was this deaf. It was a deaf girl, you know, and she was trying to talk, you know, to make herself understood to you know with another cashier, and she's like. I don't know what, I don't know what this girl is saying. Like, okay, let me take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> I go there. And I take her order in sign language. I was like, oh, yeah, she wants this and this and, and you know. And my coworker was like, wow, how do you do that? You just practice. <laughs> I didn't know you. I didn't know you knew that. I was like, well, I, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> hey, so I don't, do, you, do you think you'd, you'd you'd get back into that? Do you do you think you'd try to um you know, get those skills sharpened again or, yeah. or not. Yeah, I don't think it would be too hard to, to get back into yeah. that. Yeah. Boy, I could just imagine, I mean, if you're coming into a, you know, a, a caving situation and someone who is, is deaf, you know, wants to participate in caving or if you're doing some type of rescue, you also have this skill set in addition to all your other skill sets. It's, a, it's just amazing. 
So that would be useful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Anthem, as we as we wrap up, um, you know, just recapping some of the, some of the points today. First, you know, you've been you, you are a value added person, um, meaning anyone using this and, and want to think about value added people. These are people who just bring so much more to um, their own lives and and everybody's. Uh, everybody's lives. They're people you want to be associated with, people you want to know. They're great people. Um, and you're definitely a value-added person. So we save the story for last because you, you sent it to me last night and uh, it freaked me out a little bit because you sent me a picture <laughs> where your elbow's dislocated and stuff like oh, yeah. that. And you fell at a good 16 feet, um, was about three years ago. Uh, you were, you know, you're on, on a rope, um, uh, I think what ascending and or descending, whatever, but you fell. And you, the thing is, you're with experienced climbers at the mm-hmm. time. And I want you also to share with the experienced climbers how they reacted to this. So so right. let's close out by sharing this this really scary, um, I, I guess, uh, ax, climbing accident that you were in. Yeah, well, I need to clarify that uh, the experienced climbers didn't make any mistake and neither did I, you know. There was this new guy. Uh, well, I was ascending. I was climbing up. And I had the rope in my harness. Everything was in place. I had my belay taking care of me. Uh, there was like, the new guy was on top. For some reason, he thought we were done with the rope. And he would oh. tie the rope and threw it over the cliff as I was ascending. Oh, okay. Yeah, thinking. Oh, yeah, no. he didn't, yeah, he didn't bother to check. He didn't bother to, hey, is someone on the rope? No, nothing. I don't know what he was thinking, or I don't know if he didn't like me. Some I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was I was going up, and I was getting tired. And I was about to take a break, and all of a sudden, I just I just see the rope falling right next to me into the ground. I was like, "Wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen." <laughs> right. And then, and then I look down to my friends, and at my at the time, my girlfriend, I, I look at their faces, and I see the eyes go like, "Woo." Yes. I was like, that's the moment I knew I was effed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so obviously I uh, you know, I fell. You know. Uh, you know, I, I, I fell like this. And uh, a roommate of mine, uh, one of the extreme climbers, and, and my girlfriend they uh, they tried to catch me. So, so they jumped and in front you know, in front of me and, and I fell on I landed on top of them. So they kind of stopped in the land, I guess. Um, so yeah, there was this 220-pound gorilla falling on top of them. They're, they're, <laughs> my girlfriend was 100 pounds, and the the guy, the climber, he was like 120 pounds. He was, he's skinny, dude. What in the um, hell was that anyway, all about? Uh, I opened my eyes, and I just look at the sky, uh, and uh, and they are like getting up from under me. It's like, oh man, you know. Yeah. And then I know. Uh, and I start looking around. The first instinct is to get me up. And I remember saying, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Don't get me up. And I told them, touch my legs. You know, let's make sure that I, you know, I can wiggle my fingers. I can move on. Like, you know, I have feeling in my legs. So we do all that jazz. And I'm like, yeah, I think I didn't break anything. And then I start looking around. I see a big ass, big ass rock next to my head. I miss it oh. by this much. You know. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't wearing a helmet. The helmet arrived next day. Okay. <laughs> I had already ordered it. It just didn't Amazon arrive. Amazon shipping, yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I start looking around, and then I I try to move, and then I feel a sharp pain in my elbow, and then I look, and I see it's 
bent in a funny way. So it's like, I, you know, this whole video, the phone's in video. Yeah. Um, I remember saying, oh, I just located my elbow. And everybody's like, oh, yeah. Like, how do you know you didn't break it? I know what a broken bone feels like, I think. You know, I think it's just dislocated. Okay, okay, guys, get me up. Uh, and they get me up, you know, and one had to hold my arm like this because I didn't have any strength. It was like a freaking spaghetti, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you let it hang, it hurt like a mofo. And uh, so anyway, there was I, you know, someone on my left side holding my arm up, another one. And, and then that's when the two extreme slimers were on my sides, and, and, and one tells the other, man, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, the other guy looks back and says, I don't know what to do either. They were freaking out. Um, oh, and I remember um, one of them wanted to... Well, one of them wanted to punch, let's just put it nicely, wanted to punch the other guy who was on top and tied the rope. Oh. He was like, what the, what are you thinking? <laughs> and he was like, he was going to jump on him. And I said, what dude, in relax. the hell was that all about? Just get me out of here and then you can kick his ass. Yes. How about yeah. that? And he's, like, and he's like, like, he snapped out of it. He's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's get you out of here. So what's the plan? I'm like, okay, you take me back to the car. You drive me to ER. That's the plan. Easy peasy, right? Yeah, yeah. okay, let's do that. You know, so I was directing my own rescue. <laughs> You know, and as, as we were hiking uh, back to the car, it was like, uh, I don't know, 500 yards maybe. It wasn't that long of a hike, but when you're injured, it's... <laughs> oh, sure. It feels like hours. Uh, and the terrain is uneven, so sometimes you have to jump down. And, and I don't know, if, if I rotate my torso a certain way, it will hurt a lot. So I was making jokes along the way, you know. I don't know if this is appropriate or not. You can edit it out. But I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, 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 man, oh. At least you're taking it lightly, you know. So, you know, I, I was surprised at this um, zen-like attitude I had, you know, during this stressful time. Because I didn't freak out. I, yeah. I wasn't crying or, or whining or, or mad at the guy who did this, you know. I was just like, okay, this happened. Uh, this is what we need to do. See, you know, so and that... I, was trying to, I was trying to make, uh, make it funny, you know, for, for everybody else to, to be more uh, relaxed. Yeah, I think that's the point. I mean, because you were in control um, and not panicking, then it brought everybody else down um, to to where they weren't they weren't freaking out. They weren't. Um... So you mentioned something um, before, Atham, of assume you're always on your own, and yeah. then um, anything else, anyone else there to help, whatever is an extra. So you talked about the Zen ability and not. In my experience, a lot of people just don't have that. But the people that do have that, it seems like they've they've taken a lot of time in their life to practice it. You know, whether it's it's um, you know really conscious activities of solitude, of of spending time um, hiking, reading, whatever to understand. Smoking um, pipes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or that they've been through a lot of reconnaissance, um, kind of like you know they've been in different places been in a place where, yeah, maybe you don't know the, the language, the cultures, or, or the culture, um, certain things going on. You're not sure if this is, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Whatever. Um, and so I, I don't know exactly um, if, if you can put this to, together, but how do you think, you know, that climbing accident, everything before that happened in, in your life, what, what were some things that kind of prepared you to handle that? very um 
you know, with, with due diligence, thinking through it, okay, here's where I'm at, here's what I need to tell the people. Um, because, again, the reaction, you went into chaos. So this is the whole thing. You mm-hmm. went from this self-similarity or Taurus of what you thought it was going to be and everybody around you, what they thought it was going to be. All right. of a sudden, you're into chaos. And when you're into chaos, um, that can actually be a really good thing because you can get very clear and simplify and here's what we need to do. Uh, is If you recognize that, yes, we're in chaos, right. um, but people don't handle that well. You, they try to stay in self-similarity. This would be like if someone came up to you and said, walk it off, like you know, trying to get you up right away, like get you back to self-similarity, stand right. you up. Um, and you're saying, no, it's, I'm in a state of chaos. We need to approach this as as chaos. Um, right. But help, th- this is, I think you're so on with this, and this is where um, I, I, I'd like to think and, and put together questions you know, not necessarily a podcast, but to learn more from you as I put together some more of my work. How, how do you keep that Zen and how do you keep situationally aware and, and function in chaos? Cause you do it really well, I think in so many areas of your life, you use it to your advantage. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I would say that part of it is just personality you know, and maybe that can be helped to a degree. Maybe uh, if your personality doesn't help, Maybe you can still achieve it. Maybe, maybe it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you. Um, but other than that, um, I don't know, man. I, I'm just aware that if I panic, I'm just going to make it worse. Yeah. If I get angry and I start whining, it, it's not going to get solved. You know, so I just go through a linear process of, okay, this happened. I need to do this to get out of this situation. So let's do it. Instead of, oh, why me? I, I can take care of that later. I can, I, can, I can whine all I want after I'm done with this. You know. First, let's get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, how, how do you achieve that? Honestly, Doc, I have no idea. Um, yeah. yeah, that's why I think personality is a, a big factor. Yeah. And, yeah, and as you indicated, so you had two experienced climbers, you know, with you, and, and they looked at each other and said, you know, I'm not really sure how to, to respond to this. And I see that in my work when, for example, it's um, emergency responders, fire, police, you know, responding to, to a, a scene, and they can become overwhelmed by something, either just to shut down or, or start to, to panic. And not that it, it happens frequently, but it does happen. So I think it comes back to your point too of assume your eyes on your own because yes. um, yeah, yeah what if someone no one can't is, get to you right no one is coming to save you yeah yeah what if it's yeah you, right you're not what if it's something you're out there and, and you're on a trail and you're hiking and yeah you you end up falling and breaking an ankle or something like that and you're not with people i mean you indicated of course if you're going into a cave be with people this kind of situation be with mm-hmm. people but there can be any situation vehicle accidents i sent or you sent me a picture on uh, Skype of that interstate that just, you know, look like a parking lot, right? You know, we can be in these situations. Oh, yeah. That's um, right, yeah. Um, you know, people are too comfortable, I think. Uh, so when they see something out of the norm, they freak out. They are not just to see chaos. You know, they yeah. are not just to, you know, I, re- I remember um, uh, during, I mean, working at a, at a call center here. That was a pretty chaotic situation. You had always people yelling at you, people who were stressed, people who were crying. 
People who you tell them, uh, sir, uh, can you please close all your windows? And they will be like, okay, give me a moment. They will go close <laughs> their windows in their house. You know, and I'm not <laughs> even joking. Yeah. Um, and you mean, of course, the freaking windows in your computer, you dumbass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just dealing with these situations on a regular basis, maybe that makes you used to it. Right. You know, uh, I remember, you know, you know that I do a night audit for a hotel, you know. It's yeah. a graveyard shift. There's not much going on, except that when it does, it's always usually a shit hit the fan situation. Yes. Yes. And either Completely. a drunk, belligerent person, or a, um, one night, I remember, it was a, a stormy night in winter. Normally, I have like one or, or, or two check-ins left, right? I'm the front desk guy. No, this night, I had 17 check-ins left. That's a lot at night on your own, you yeah. know, for one person. You know, and I just took care of it. Instead of, oh, my God, why is this happening to me? Just, just get it done, man. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it's embrace the suck. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, that year was not my year. Because, um, <laughs> <No. laughs> like, two, two months before the climbing accident, I had a car accident, you know. Oh. And, again, okay. it was not my fault. It was the other guy going too fast in an icy road. And so he ended up hitting me, really, you know, head on. Um, and, yeah, they totaled my vehicle. They totaled his vehicle. Uh, insurance ended up paying for it. And nothing happened to me. You know, I, 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 I remember when I saw him approaching, it was in a curve. And I, I, I saw him going a little bit too fast. I was like, this is going to get ugly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, you can ask Aaron. I'm a slow driver, especially in snow, you know. So I've seen things happening here. Uh, so, okay, it's going to get ugly. Boom, it happens. And then I tried to exit the car, and the freaking door wouldn't open. I was like, well, yeah, of course. And then I started looking around. I was like, well, before I jumped out, maybe I should check if I'm okay. So I started, like, looking around and feeling me like, okay, yeah, everything is fine. I think I can move everything. Nothing hurts. Nice. Okay, so I <laughs> jumped to the back of the uh, SUV. I had a, an expedition. And opened the door and just jumped out of the car, you know. And I, I see the other guys inside their cars like, oh, man, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, and I was like, nothing happened. To, well, I had a big SUV. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, there were uh, some fellow Mexicans that didn't speak English, so I ended up uh, helping them with the translation with the state trooper and all that. I was like, man, you should pay me for this. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't mad. Um, well, deep inside, I was a little angry because, you know, I really liked the truck, but I was happy that nothing happened to me, you know. My person, right. yeah. So, yeah, just get it done. Uh, got it dealt with and move on. Only to fall two months later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but this then you get it. Year. Yeah. But then yeah. you get up and you keep going. You know, that's what you do. Right. And you have that experience and you've gone through it and and you know and who knows maybe the car accident you know played some role in the way that you responded from the fall and and as this builds on. Um, all of these experiences just make you yep. uh, more situationally aware. It you embrace more, chaos faster. It gives you more resilience, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And so I think uh, you know I, the takeaway for people listening to this um, is reconnaissance. You know, try things out. And the eighteen-year-old you is is you know the, not going to be the same as as you know if you're thirty-five or you're forty. Um, life experiences are going to help you to understand what you want in life, 
um, as far as you know, hobbies, places to live, people you want to hang around with, um, careers that you want to do. And, you know, we force, we tend to force people, you know, your 17, 18 year old, make your life decision like right now. Right. And I think some of this just unfolds with, with experience. I mean, I know that it does. And also for, you know, with safety doc and, and just being around, I've got a large cap to the. <laughs> he wasn't. Stay he wasn't over patient. here, big guy. He's a, there. Um, 25 pound rescue cat is good guy, but. It's not part of the show. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and always always assume um, you're on your own. I, I think that is, uh, that's that's great advice. And don't be, people ask you to, to do things. Hey, would you like to do this? Do you want to go here? Make, you know, go to what, Crater National Park. Do it. Say no. yes. Say yes to things. Go out there and experience the world. Experience the world. Life is meant to be lived. Hang out with people, you know. Don't just stay in front of your computer. Uh, in, unless you have three 27-inch monitors, then uh, right. No, well, I, unless it's stormy outside. Like you right. know, well, in our, our situation, I think we're in the same situation right now. We can't really go out, but you know, when it's spring. I'm gonna be out there again for sure. Yeah, we've got some rainy snow, and it, it is funny because yeah, it, when I am down here, I'm either doing some work for uh, consulting or some podcast work, but I'm down here much less than in the past because I want to be out. If it's a nice day, I'm outside biking. Um, I am not in here. I mean, I'll cancel meetings uh, if right. I can be out biking because I'd, I'd much rather schedule those in on a cold or rainy day than yeah. a day when it's 75 and sunny. Um, you know, so. that that gets me in, in trouble sometimes when I try to... Uh, I tend to bite more than I can chew sometimes. Um, like this semester, I thought that taking 15 credits for college will be fine. And then I realized it wasn't fine <laughs> six <laughs> weeks in. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I'm getting my butt kicked, but um, I think I'll survive. Lesson learned. Yeah. Just take it easy. <laughs> no rush, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, no rush and, and you know, stick with it and, and get through it. I mean... I'm excited for you. Uh, I can't wait. Um, to, what What do you anticipate for a graduation uh, date? Well, uh, as Aaron Claire will say, maybe 2040. Nah, just uh, maybe a couple more years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a couple more years, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, just, yeah, congratulations uh, on that and That's this whole thing. I mean, if I'm looking for a chemical engineer and I interview you, I'm like, wow, this is the guy, like everything, you know, he is, he's just going to be so value added to, to our company. And, um, this is, I mean, this is great. I mean, this is, Thanks. <laughs> we, we need more, we, we need more, um, people. I mean, Anthem, more value added people. So, um, today's guest, uh, Atham Aldiqua, and he is here on the Safety Doc Podcast, a friend of the Safety Doc. Um, it's always extra special to have people on that, that I know. And this has been a wonderful show. And for um, just, just yeah, think about um, spelunking, caving, um, all of these, these different life experiences. We've talked about a lot of cool stuff. And the bottom line is go out, live life. Be aware of what's happening around you. Know when you're getting into chaos. And, hey, when times get rough, just recognize it and keep moving forward. And 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of great things out there in life. So uh, thank you so much for being the guest on this episode, Anthem. Thanks for having me. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perot. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.